Welcome to Church in the Wild, everyone. My name is Seth, and today we're going to talk about friendships. This is something that might seem like it might be unimportant or a little cliche, but I actually find that there's nothing more relevant and significant. I think that friendships, deep, meaningful, lifelong friendships, are not exactly thriving in today's world. And every time I see a friendship that has endured through multiple decades, I find myself becoming quite not only impressed by it, but also envious of it. So on today's episode, I have Pastor Russ Austin, who's the senior pastor of South Point Church in Jacksonville, Florida, and Pastor Phil Benasso, who serves as a senior pastor of Storyteller Church in Orange County, California. The two of them have shared a friendship together that has lasted over three decades, endured all kinds of ups and downs, and I think they have some incredible insights into what it takes to not only build those kinds of friendships, maintain those kinds of friendships, but also articulate the, the kind of value that you can derive from those friendships as well. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Well, this was a long time coming and took a lot of work to get here, but by the grace of God, we have arrived. I have with me uh, Pastor Russ Austin, Pastor Phil Benasso. Thank you guys for joining me on Church in the Wild podcast. Great to be here, Seth. Looking forward to this. Yeah, just a thrill, man. Thrill. We have no idea what's going to occur. We do have a dog apparently next door to the hotel room, <laughs> which may make a guest appearance at some point. Uh, but uh, we've had to fight through all kinds of adversity just to get to this moment and have this conversation, which I'm eager to have. And uh, with the two of you here especially, I'm very interested to know about the history, in particular, of your friendship that you've had together. Because you two, among many of the leaders that I have been able to be around, I see as having the kind of relationship and the length of a relationship that I think all guys my age and younger want to have you know we want to have guys that we've walked with in our life that we know that we still enjoy have fun with all these kinds of things but it seems like that's really diminishing in our world and it's not easy to accomplish mm -hmm. and so i'd love to hear the history of your friendship where it all began and uh and then maybe just talk a little bit about the value of of friendship and particularly male friendship because i think that's something that uh you know i sure you know women and men have their own struggles but i don't know if we're going to speak as well from the female side as we could from the male side so that's what we're going to do. Sound all right? That's perfect. Great. All right. So where, where did it kick us off? Where did it all begin? Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll pick, this is Russ, for those of you that aren't used to our voices yet. Um, been almost 30 years now. It's been almost 30, 30 years. years. Yes, it and uh, I do want to, I'm going to give a real short rendition of how <laughs> I first met Phil Bonasso, a mutual friend, um, uh, said, I want to take you out to Palm Springs, California, where we're going to meet some other brothers. And uh, he said, you're going to love it. And so off we went. And uh, I get in the airplane. We fly to Palm Springs. And they're waiting for me is uh, two gentlemen in a minivan. Uh, one of them was Phil Bonasso. And, uh, uh, and I get in the minivan. And Paul Simon is singing, You Can Be My Bodyguard at top volume in the minivan the minivan is blowing up with you can be my bodyguard as we drive out of the airport and uh, and i and i and and everybody's singing in the minivan but me and uh, this was all new for me and uh, I, I looked over at my friend who brought us there i said what have you done where are we and who is this <laughs> And he said, just, you're going to have fun. Well, this is the part I got to, I'm going to leave out a lot of details because this was Phil Bonasso driving this van. Are you censoring the details or is this? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 yeah. So Phil is driving the van and we pull up to downtown Palm Springs and Phil in that classic voice of his goes, all right, everybody out of the minivan, Chinese fire drill. I'm pastoring a church in Midland, Texas, and I thought my friend had sanity, and I'm now doubting him and suspicious of everything. And he grabs me and he says, out we go. So I'm in the middle of Palm Springs, California, running around a van as an adult with children in my house. Can you explain a Chinese fire drill, Pastor Phil? Exactly what does that entail? Well, Seth, that this particular one, uh, you, you run out of the car and run around the car okay. and then run back into the car, but this particular one we the code was you stopped in the headlights and did a little bit of dancing in the streets <laughs> yeah that was it because we were going around he goes hold on everybody as he says it like nobody else 
He goes dancing in the streets. People are on the sidewalks looking at us. And we're out in the front dancing to Paul, Paul Simon, dancing in the headlights in downtown Palm Springs. That was my beginning of my relationship with Phil Bonasso. Is this an accurate recollection? Seth, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> we were a lot younger then, but yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, it was a, it's it was a while true. back. It's, there's not one bit of embellishment there. It's all true. So where did things go from there? What were some of the kind of key or significant moments? At what point did you guys, I mean, that was your initial meeting, and I'm sure that was a bit like, who in the world is this and what are we doing? But at what point did you begin to say like, okay, I'm actually maybe feeling like there's a connection here, there's a bond here, there's something that might go for a bit longer than one Chinese fire drill? Well, you know, Seth, I, it's interesting because I've been thinking a little bit about, the, as you said, the history of, of our friendship. And Russ, in, in our sort of our beginnings, uh, myself and, and the, when we were all youth ministers, Russ would come to our conferences. He was, he was always around, and uh, and there, and right before the the beginnings of every nation, uh, Russ was there with us in some of the formative conversations about mm -hmm. everything. And so, it would I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the Lord brought Russ uh, into our small networks of relationships. And it was very unique yeah. because he didn't necessarily grow up with us all as youth ministers and what we were doing. He didn't have it. the same history that y'all had Did not have the same history, but Got somehow it. there was a parallel. And, uh, and through the, the, the formations of what was first morning star and then every nation, Russ was right there with us yeah. in the, in the, formulation of those things and, and one of what we call is you know affectionately amongst our generation the father generation Russ was one of those yeah. and really made it happen and uh and he really to to in in the early stages to all of us uh was kind of a big brother that that just he his wisdom, the gift on his life. Is that, and, is that a reference to his age, how much well, older you know, he is than, he's, than everyone? He, he's a couple of years, uh, he, you know, it, it's kind of light years, but he's got <laughs> <laughs> You know, but, we just sat through a cluster, Phil and I, and suffered through three references. Uh, this was at the Southeast Cluster, <laughs> right. which I know people don't know what it's a gathering of ministers that come in from a certain part of the country. That's right, yeah. And... Um, uh, and three times they said, when we were, you know, for guys like your age, and on the third time <laughs> it got to be deeply offensive that we're being referred to as an age group, and uh, it, it, was, it was getting a little bit ridiculous. It sure was, pal. It sure was. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I'm interested in that a little bit. I mean, what? Uh, how did you know that you were that? Was there like a sign that kind of showed to you that you guys... Was it the fact that he was willing to endure the dancing in the headlights kind of a moment? You know, I guess what are some of the, and maybe Russ, you can speak to this, but what were some of the things that you could look at these people that you didn't know or have nearly the relational history that they did, but you felt like you belonged there, you meshed with them? This is actually important. I've actually told this part of the story. So uh, Phil and I, in our early days relationship, weren't... Uh, uh, nearly as close, not just because uh, we, even in the beginning, Phil was in one spot and page and way of thinking. I was thinking differently. It, the, our likenesses were there on values and how God was using us. Um, but as far as connecting, I had a set of relationships. He had a set of relationships. So we were in the same room together, but not walking in the same relationship we're walking in mm -hmm. right now. Because there's a, actually a beautiful part to this that I hope comes up before we get done of how we actually got started the way we are and the kind of relationship that God has given us now. And, um, but, um, uh, after the end of that moment in California, so was, and what we did, we, what we did was, and it was beautiful because we're very young. Now we're in our early thirties. You guys were probably still in your twenties. And, um, uh, and I went out and played golf every day. Then we ate a ton and then would sit around in rooms and talk about God and what God was going to be doing and laugh and joke and cut up and tease one another and then go out and play golf. We did that for like three or four straight days. 
Now, this is what's important. Now, I was pastoring a church in the middle of West Texas. I was independent. In other, and I don't mean in nature so much as I wasn't a part of anything. Right. And um, I get on this airplane to go home. And this was the beginning of something very special. And I think it's something that's important part of all relationships that last. I get on this plane and I'm flying home. And I think, I have not felt like this in years. And I felt like, I honestly, I, the, I felt like nothing could tempt me. I felt so satisfied. Hmm. I felt so full and satisfied. I'd been with the brothers. I'd had fun. I'd laughed. I'd talked about Jesus. I'd talked about the kingdom. But I'd talked about bad putts and stupid golf swings. And I'd, we'd, te- we'd ate far too much of the wrong things. And... And, um, uh, and, and we're just having fun as brothers together. Fun being a big part of this. Friendships without fun, I just don't think can last. Hmm. Interesting. I think there has to be a measure of fun and excitement in it. And I'm on this plane going home, and I thought, I'm not losing those guys. And I thought, I am staying with that group of guys from this point on. And so wherever they were, I found them. And uh, I'd ask, I, and when they started having meetings, I said, I'll go. So by making that decision, that kept Phil and I in proximity for a number of years until something much more dynamic started taking place. Wow. Wow. Phil, do you have any takes on, on any of that? Like, does that resonate with you as well? Seth, you know, um, it, 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 it really does. And I, you know, my great conviction in this area of relationships is that I believe wholeheartedly that God has, God truly ordains the, what I like to term the divine friendships in our life, that Mm -hmm. he is the author behind them. He is the designer behind them. He's the, he, and, and as we know, he's designed us, especially as a man and as men, as to need each other, to need brothers, not codependent, but interdependent. Yeah. And I'm just convinced uh, that if we'll, if we'll let God bring those relationships into our life um, and the, the design of them. And when Russ says, I was going to stay close to this, uh, when you discover that, when you discover uh, the, 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 where you fit, uh, it's just, it is, uh, life's greatest treasure in many ways. Yeah. Um, and when you have that sense, um, of, of divine, uh, placement and put together and these are my brothers and, and then that creates, I love what Russ was saying, this, this dedication of, I'm not going to let go of that. I'm going to hold on to this. Yeah. And, uh, and that order from God, that way that, you know, I just am, I'm just am so convinced of this, that we need partners, divine part. You know, our, our marriages are amazing treasures in the ultimate relationships in our life. But as men, I believe there's, there's partners that he brings into our life that really, that really makes our life uh, full and yeah. complete. Yeah. And uh, it, it takes this kind of awakening, revelation, and then dedication. Yeah. That was actually the question that I was going to ask because you guys speak of these relationships and how important they are. But obviously you guys are married and you have kids and you guys even have, you know, local church, uh, local churches you're part of now and have been, you know, in history. And so you're talking about the kinds of relationships that don't necessarily live in your same city. Um, that you don't necessarily see every day, you know, that, uh, that aren't your biological family. So I guess how, how do you guys envision the role of this kind of, um, this level of friendship complementing, you know, um, complementing the, the rest of kind of your, your family, your spouse, you know, all the other relationships you might have locally, you know, how do you, how do you guys see all those, those things connecting? Now, now for me, because I, I want to echo that. Um, I think the kind of relationships that we're talking about in this podcast are assignments. Okay. 
I think that's the key word, their assignments. In other words, so you really feel like they're from God. The heaven is doing something. And God is aligning people together for and, a purpose. Yeah, I think the really, really special ones, and I think that's available to everyone, and everyone should have that. And that's and, not all of your friendships, but you feel like it's a specific yeah, I think few it's, that it's... And I think that will always be a very small circle Okay. because of mm-hmm. the demands in order for those to work uh. and to be what you want them to be. There's demands put upon you and those people that are in that relationship to make it work. Yeah. Okay. You just said it with the amount of time you're committing with it yeah, to you're every other thing. Yeah. You're not going to have 20 of these. You're not going to have probably five of these. Interesting. You know, I, maybe two, three over a lifetime. You're going to have more because there is sometimes something will happen in life that separates you from one that was that. Sure. And, um, or I'm sure seasons where it ebbs and flows a little bit, where you're maybe more or less connected to it to a few. But if you've people, built yeah. correctly, the, when it ebbs or it flows back in, yeah. it's like it never left. That's right. Yeah, it's how it's like there. There it is because yeah. you've done the work to make sure that that happens. Understanding that there's going to be seasons. Hey, you got to go do what you got to do. Yeah. But when we get back, we'll be here. We won't be farther away. We'll be right here. And I, and I think heaven has a lot to do with that, and I think there's an assignment in it. But I do think it needs to be recognized because it will be challenged. Hmm. And so if you fail to see it as an assignment and you put all the hope in your brother, yeah. it isn't going to go well. No. We're too broken. Yeah. So sometimes the assignment pulls you into a different faith, pulls you into a higher level of forgiveness when it's needed, uh, to pulls you into a higher level of patience while you're waiting for God to finish something in them or in you. Right, all of those things working out. I think you, when you go, that's my assignment. I can't lose it. If I lose, in other words, there's certain relationships that I felt like if I lost, I'd be very disappointed. Right, and it would. Uh, I'd make adjustments. There are other assignments that are in my life. Assignments. I'm sorry. Other relationships that are assignments. Yeah. I lose those. There's a large part of my identity that I have to rebuild. I, uh, I wonder, just even as I hear you talk, I mean, there's so many things that I would love to unpack a little bit more, but I've, I've, you know, I think one of the things that has been a relatively fair critique of the maybe evangelical conservative church over the last couple of decades is uh, not necessarily how much they valued the nuclear family and, and even the marriage relationship, because I think those things are obviously incredibly biblically important, both to the church and society and so forth. But I think it, it has been fair to look at it and say, have we put so many eggs in that basket that we've created almost an idol of the idea of family and marriage, that the end goal of our life should be being good husbands and being good dads versus even the family itself being something that's intended to serve something beyond itself, right? So rather than just my wife and I having an intimate, enjoyable relationship with each other, that through that intimacy we enjoy with each other, we're actually a blessing beyond you know it's not just one plus one equals two but there's something beyond us that's actually being a blessing but as i hear you guys talking it really sounds like you know in some ways this could take some weight off of the and i don't mean this like to take away from marriage but take some of the overburdens of marriage needing to satisfy and fully complete and be everything to, especially to every man you know, in terms of satisfying every relational itch that it, that it might have. I know a lot of couples just really struggle with this idea of maybe not feeling fulfilled in their marriage. And it, of course, plenty of couples have issues and problems they need to work through and need to have better marriages. But I also wonder if it's maybe, you know, it's not just you needing to have a better relationship with your wife, but maybe you're actually needing more relationships than just your wife. Uh, do you think there's any, I don't know, validity to that? Well, I... I think absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would agree, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Because a lot of the needs that sometimes we'll think I need intimacy are the needs of camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Camaraderie, in my opinion. And a wife can't do that the same way. Absolutely cannot. Camaraderie is the love enjoyed between brothers. It's a unique experience between men. And um, where I believe women have the same need. I don't know what their name for it is. Yeah. And, I um, couldn't describe the dynamics of it, but I, I know it's there. And, yeah. and, and, and that I could never sure. produce for my wife. I sure. could never produce that. I actually want and pray for her to have a certain level of friendships because knowing Absolutely. she will be, what you just said, she'll be frustrated with me, but it's not me. It's a personal frustration she's feeling, and me being the person who provides intimacy at one place, yeah. it could seem like I was supposed to at all places. Absolutely not. Yeah. When brothers have other brothers and they have the right level of I don't like the word intimacy so much, but the right kind of vulnerability, yeah. humility, honesty, transparency with one another. And they're enjoying that koinonia, that real 
spiritual fellowship. Yeah. They come home better husbands because they have more to give, not less. That's what I was about to say. We're actually at one of our regional pastors gatherings now. And every time I leave, my wife has always gives me kind of this groaning lick, like, oh, you're going to be gone for a couple of days. And she has the kids and that's tough. But every time I come back, it's just like, you're better when you're back. You're better. You're a better husband. You're a more available dad. There's something in you that gets filled up uh, being around your brothers in Christ that you're really walking with that happens. And she sees that. And so even though she knows it takes a little bit of sacrifice on the front end, it pays off dividends on the back end significantly. Yeah, we've seen that in our marriage time. And the same is true, actually, when she goes away, you know, with her close friends or she spends a, a weekend away, you know, whatever the sacrifice or cost is, you know, for her to be gone for that amount of time is always well worth it. It's not just that she's recharged, refreshed. There's an actual need, I think, inside of her soul that gets met that that couldn't be met otherwise. Yeah, I'll see you guys. And, and I know it's actually OK to do this. And I would think sometimes it would be suggested to do this, you know, where a guy will go, I got to get away for a couple of days. I'm going, who are you going with? And they'll go, I'm, and I'll hear a lot of times, well, I'm going to get off by myself. I need to be by myself. And I do think that's necessary sometimes. You're talking to a hardcore introvert, so you're on dangerous ground. But it's, 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 it's a lot less than people think. What they need that's true. is to go find something different, some other form, a well, another well to draw certain emotional energy and strength from yeah. that God has provided. And a lot of times, you're, you just said it, the only well they have is their marriage, yeah. and then their prayer closet, and uh, both of those will fill a certain spot. But then uh, there's a lot of times I'll feel a certain way. I think, I don't need a vacation. I don't need to be alone. I, I need to go call Phil. I need to get on the phone. We need to take 30 minutes and just fool around, touch each other's life in that unique, special way. I'll be fine. Or I got to fly somewhere. I got to see them. Uh, or, you know, and, I've, and I only probably have three friends in my life like that. Yeah. So I have three. Yeah. And um, and so uh, find one of those guys and have that moment. I'm going there. I'm good. I didn't need to leave. I needed that. Nice. The two of you guys are notorious for many things, actually, but <laughs> at least one thing in particular <laughs> that uh, you mentioned earlier, Russ. And I I'm I'm really uh, uh, I'm really interested that uh, you would bring this up as kind of a very significant factor of what helps really form these friendships and helps to guide them in the process. But uh, Pastor Phil is often coined as the apostle of fun. And uh, I know Russ, like you, like anytime you step into a room, there's just a, there's just an element of that kind of lighthearted, you know, jovial, you know, um, joking around. Like it's just everything, there's more laughter in the room. Everything's lighter hearted, you know, guys are either teasing each other or whatever, just cracking jokes. Um, tell me a little bit about why you think, because I think fun sometimes it just gets, um, especially in these younger generations, they think of it as superficial, almost in a sense. There's this move to authenticity has to be like deep and emotional and like almost borderline depressing at times, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, I, I don't think fun or joy should be categorized as something superficial. I feel like that should be the deepest, most authentic emotion that we have if we believe in a Jesus that's risen from the dead. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about fun, why you see it's important, like how to maybe counteract some of the perceptions about it being maybe just superficial. Phil really needs to go. For, I actually have something very important go I want to say. Rest. that. Go ahead. Let me no, I, but I think you should probably, well, I, I'll go first. And I, when I would watch Phil in the early years, it was mesmerizing to me because I truly believe he has a gift of he God. He has not a gift this. of it, yes. He's extremely and, gifted And I this. know people are going, where is that in the Bible? I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's and, there. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and so, but I would go to his home for a party for the Christmas conference, or I'd watch him at a conference, and, and Phil knows this because he can remember, but I would sit and just watch him because I'd study people. And, um, and I'd go, that guy is mesmerizing. He's, he's making everything bigger than what I used to say all the time. Phil could make breaking out of a paper sack feeling <laughs> like you were going to heaven. You know yeah, what I mean? It, right. it, it was like, I, I, I know we're just coming out of a paper sack right now, but it feels like we just stormed the gates of hell and one. Right. And, um, you can take a mundane moment and make it monumental somehow. And yeah. then would take simple things and make us do them. I've watched him push people out of their awkwardness get out of themselves, move past their, and I don't know if Phil ever even knew what he was doing completely or if it was just intuitive, because a lot of times I felt like he was doing it intuitively, that everybody needed to be pushed past something. And so I would sit and watch that. 
and I would love it. Yeah. Because I would watch people, they were stuck, and then Phil would just, with that big, loud voice, yeah. and almost in an obnoxious fashion, just push you almost through. obnoxious almost and push us through yes. and then the next thing you know everybody in the room's having a ball that's right everybody's laughing yeah everybody's talking to each other and here's the big thing everybody stopped taking themselves too serious that's huge and that's what i picked up i went no one is thinking about who they are right now they're just having fun yeah they're just living the moment yeah. They're they're all up in it. Everybody's enjoying it. You need everybody to have this moment. And that became the better together thing for me. When I would watch, I really a lot of that stuff that's come out of me was me watching Phil. And uh, and and I'd watch him do that. And so the now, because of all of that, I've adopted at our, our church at South Point, people will tell you, fun is a worship word. Mm. Really? Yes. It's, it's a the, worship word. It's in the core value system. That's fantastic. Uh, I used to tell Phil all the time, people, when we would dance on a night and, and all the kids would be dancing. This was in the days when churches weren't all doing that. This is during worship or during just a party? No, or? at a party. But okay, when we yeah. dance, it was dancing. Uh, yeah, I know y'all yeah. could get down. Yeah. And that, well, we can't. But people, <laughs> we invited the right people. And, um, and so, uh, and with that, they would dance. We used to, and I would study that because I would think about my ride home on the airplane. And then I would watch everybody after a big night of dancing and carrying on and fun and and um, and I knew and I've learned from that point on people sin less. They sin less when they have righteous fun. Really, I don't doubt it, but that's an extremely profound statement. Yes, I've. Uh you know, Pastor Greg Mitchell, he's actually my roommate here at this conference and has been probably the most significant mentor I've had. He was there almost from day one, literally, of me becoming a pastor and helping me navigate a church that was in significant distress. And he's helped me to understand the process of kind of overcoming, you know, sin and struggles, temptations and so forth as, a, as not just a battle of trying to withhold yourself from doing bad things, but understanding even sin as trying to fill your life with a legitimate need you're just seeking illegitimately. Um, and so sometimes the, the metaphor that I use is like, you know, we're all born with the need for water. And so it's just what you do with that thirst. You can drink from the toilet, uh, which eventually will kill you. Or you can drink, you know, from bottled water, you know. But if you just tell someone, hey, toilet water is bad for you. It's going to kill you. It's wrong. It's morally wrong. And you should feel ashamed of it and just stop it. You can get people, and I think Christians a lot of times just do that, and that can be our message. So people just say, okay, well, I better stop, right? But the problem is you still get thirsty. It was actually meeting a real thirst in your life some way, somehow. Like it was going to kill you eventually, but it was still meeting an, at least an immediate need. And a lot of sin, that's what it does. And so unless and until you teach them how to drink from a better source of water, they're always going to struggle with the toilet water. And for good reason. Um, I think for we can be pretty sympathetic to that and compassionate about that. It's still wrong. It's still disgusting but they have to be given better water. And so what I, I guess what I hear you saying in just terms of that framework is that joy and fun and the connection of relationships in that environment is the actual thing filling their soul that sin is just the counterfeit version of. And once they're filled in their soul in those ways, they don't have the same appetite for sin. Right. Would you? That's exactly. Yeah. How many movies? But I, I've never I, heard anyone say that like that or make that connection. I'm from the Northwest, so it's all like depressing and emo, you know, minor chords and songs. And, you know, we just <laughs> everything's gray and cloudy all the time, you know, and uh, and, you know, even doing church sometimes like you just get this connotation that if there's any expression of joy, it pales in authenticity to just someone really confessing their darkest thoughts they had that week or something, something like that. I think there's a time and a place to be your total and full self. And to be vulnerable and all that kind of stuff. But I see a lack. Uh, I see a lack in the modern church of really experiencing the kind of joy you're talking about. And it's profound to me that you can make the connection to someone's actual walk with God and how much they are or not sinning. Yeah. That's incredible. And, and that was, you know, I, I watched Phil for years do that. And, um, uh, and being a part of it, I thought that's exactly what's taking, is taking place. Over, and we were working with young people. And so when you're working with young people, all the stuff that's happening in a young person's life, it's normal. Right. Normal. And um, and then to give them something to combat that rather than what you just said, that's a beautiful example, to go, no, we're here to enjoy our life. Because I look at children, 
Children are, we think children at their best when they're laughing and happy and playing. That's right. We love it when our children are playing and happy. Right. I cannot think that God is that much different with us as his children, that all of a sudden we got taller and lived here longer, and then he goes, don't you dare have any fun. So trying to create fun in a world where it gets more and more difficult to have it is a gift and essential, and I think it's important to friendships. Yeah. If friendships are never fun, I just don't, there's a part of it that's missing. Yeah. Yeah, what would you say about this, Phil? I guess what, where where does this drive for fun? I mean, it's such unique and special element you bring. Why is it so important well, to you? And, you know, Seth, you guys are so kind. I mean, we'll know, tease you later. Don't worry. Yeah, We're setting you up. Yeah, that's great. Well, don't get you. used to this. <laughs> no, no, great. I, I really, <laughs> because there's a lot of people listening. <laughs> this is the only reason. I'm almost paralyzed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Russ being real. They're you heard turn, some of the things he was calling me. Yeah, yeah we, had a, we had a whole, some of the things he was calling me. We had a whole car ride over here. So, yeah. Mudhead or something. That's an actual quote, actually. That is an actual quote. I think Maggot Brain was somewhere in there as well. Yeah, that's my favorite. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. But, you know, Seth, the, uh, when I think about, you know, Russ and, and he and I's relationship, Russ is, the gift on his life is he, this deep relational chip um, that runs through him. But he, he also has this, this ability to understand what's going on behind the scenes with everything. And so I remember in the in a lot of the years of our life, I would do something and he'd sit me down and he'd go, Now champ, this is what you're doing <laughs> and help me he he to connect the dots, just like a minute ago we talked about sin and, and you know, right. his insights uh to structure behind th- these type of the environment that he and I endeavor to create. Um, I, I use that very carefully. We trust the Holy Spirit. We trust yeah. God. We're not, uh, but, but. You can't just manufacture it you artificially. You can't manufacture it, yeah. Seth. And, um, and that's what I want to emphasize because th- this, uh, it, 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 you're right, it, th- there are several levels to unpack on this, but it's by design what we do. I know it is, yeah. It's with a lot of thought, a lot of prayer. Uh, a lot of trusting God, a lot of desperate prayer and hoping that he'll, he'll anoint us in that moment to, to give life mm-hmm. and to create what we call the family dynamic, uh, spiritual family. I think without that, you can't have the fullness of spiritual family. You know, there's the side, like you mentioned, sure. the, the, the moments of, transparency and struggle and that and but if it's just that that that's not altogether authentically everything there's times to to laugh time to cry time to laugh there's a time that that's right because as as christian leaders we know there's always a crisis going on always always there's always a challenge going Mm -hmm. on there's that's why russ and i and, and and kevin in the early years of the clusters are are great um, focus was to create an environment where everyone felt safe, where everyone felt important, and where everyone could laugh and laugh at themselves. And and this was a lot of, of Russ's what I call giftedness and genius in this is he creates, he has this, the gift on his life in so many ways is to create this sense of everyone's important. Yeah. And everyone gets secure because it, it, for all of us, we all, all of us, every day have insecurity. I mean, it's just part of, of what we have to overcome and work through. And so our, our, by great design and with, with great effort, I mean, you know, the, the, the joking and the jokes you make take a lot of work, a lot of effort, <laughs> a lot of preparation. You know, it, it, you, you want to think it's just all, and a lot of it is uh, spontane- spont- spontaneous yep. on the Holy Spirit working with us and helping us but a lot of it is a dedicated focus to create a, a sense of everyone matters yeah mm-hmm. no matter how bad no matter h- how bad this because as you know Seth 
once we finish this struggle, there's three more right around. The That's right. There's never this moment when, okay, it's we got we can breathe now. No more stress. We solved four problems this week. Now we can take a breath. You, you know, like they're now ongoing. Can, and now we can take a breath and laugh and, right. and maybe relax. But no, it's it's and so creating this and the 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 effort and the labor that goes into it. And, and that's what, you know, uh, and I know I'm talking a lot, but no, this is great. The, the last, what my last thoughts along this line is that, that to have, when I think about, as Russ said, the relationships that, that critically define our life, yeah, critically define our life. There's only a handful that, that I look to and, and, my wife Karen will say all you know, when I'm maybe not doing real well. She'll say this: "Have you talked to Russ? <laughs> <laughs> have you talked? Have you been with your brothers? You know, there because she knows there's yeah. there's a an effect that Russ has on me that's God designed. Yeah, it's not codependent. So I want me to make that real clear. We're not talking about because if it's codependent." It dies. It doesn't work. Right. It, it doesn't work. Right. And, and it never blesses anything beyond it itself. It never blesses anything beyond yeah. it. And so, and, and, and I know Russ would echo this. I have a responsibility to him to walk every day the best I can by faith and pursue God and walk with God. He's trusting that in me. Yeah. Uh, I'm trusting that in him. Yeah. And he does this, you know. We probably, I would say, on average, talk once a week. Is that right? And uh, sometimes twice. Sometimes we'll miss a week, but we, it probably averages out once a week. And we leave each other messages. And this kind of message, he'll leave me. If so, he'll call and go, are you still out there? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're still alive. <laughs> See, because if you're not standing on this Bible, then I'm coming to whoop you. You better be, you better be rising to faith. You got it? <laughs> and so there's this, there's, there's a, a spiritual commitment individually to pursue God. And so when we come together, we have these authentic moments. Yeah. He'll say, champ, how are you doing? I said, you know, I'm suicidal today, <laughs> but I'm getting better. Yeah. <laughs> and we laugh about it, but you know, we, we don't stay there. And there are times where he'll, in, in a word, he lifts me, but I'm prepared for that. I try to lift him. Yeah. You know, we, we try to, because we're pursuing, it's this passionate pursuit of God. That causes this to work. Right. And if I let that go, Seth, if, if I become a needy code kind of, if I'm not pulling on God and then letting him, letting the Holy Spirit take my, my brother Russ yeah. and form my life, man, that's an amazing feeling. The camaraderie, the sense of, that's why my wife will go, have you talked to Russ? Because you're off kilter a little bit. You're, mm. I can't do this for you. Where are your brothers? Yeah. You know, as, you know, why don't you get, you know, have you, how long has it been since you talked to your brothers or something? So I know I'm rambling a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, that's but, really great. But this is by great effort, a uh, relationship like this and the joy that, that, that Russ, you know, because I'm always, you know, it's all, I'm usually the one call and asking him okay now what yeah. about how does this work yeah how do we, what is this because that's the gift on him is this no this yeah this no 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 that's not gonna this will work no that will work and it's an amazing thing but it takes it takes great effort and yeah. great commitment because if i let go seth of that dynamic of the pursuit of god in my life yeah then i become an unequal yoke and i don't want to be that we, I want to be strength to strength because out of that, the authentic moments where we've carried each other, yes, you know, in, in really difficult times, yeah. that really works and you, and you can press through and find it. So it takes, it, it, this isn't just some kind of chemistry, mm -hmm. uh, some kind of. You look, you know, you guys just have a great, you're just like, you know, let me tell you Your something. personalities are just personality, insane. The like devil that. will see to it yeah, that so these no. relationships fail. Right? Yeah. Without this kind of, without this kind of passion for God. Because that way we can navigate. There's nothing we can't navigate like this. Yeah. Even in the darkest moments. Because it's, you know, 
because we're determined to forgive each other. We're determined to give each other patience and grace, and we laugh about it all the time. We we know the gaps in each other's lives. Yeah. We don't judge those things. You know, we laugh and go, yeah, Chad, that's your gap. Now, you're really being stupid right there, Chad. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Chad. Sorry. That was stupid. You're right. You know, that we, we can we gap each other. Yeah. You know, and so that just just some thoughts there. No, I, I think that's all fantastic. I think the, the idea is significant that how you live in your relationship with God, when you have a very tangible reminder that that's affecting more than just you. You know, if I don't stay faithful to him, if I'm not staying well connected to him, like, yes, it's going to affect my, you know, my family, my wife, my kids. That's all true. But to have other peers in your life to know that's like, hey, like, I need you to stay well with God because I'm going to need you to help me stay well with God. And that that connection seems vitally important. The idea Absolutely. that only I and God matter and and only my relationship with God affects only me and God is such a lie. It really is. But to actually live in the kind of relationships where it does actually impact, you know, if, if, if I sin or if I fall or if I just start acting dumb, that's going to, that's going to, I have people that will call me back. Yes, but that's also going to send ripple waves to remind me of just the reality of sin and just how horrible and sucky it is, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really well said. Um, you mentioned, Russ, one of the things you mentioned was just uh, that, you know, when you want to find and pursue these kinds of uh, assigned relationships, that it's going to, I mean, we can create a really rosy picture about this, right? Oh, yeah, you can have three decades of relationship and it'll share a lot of laughs and share a lot of memories, and that's all really great. But, I mean, as you alluded to, it will always come with challenges, especially if it's a God-ordained sort of a relationship. Um, something's going to come along to try to frustrate it or break it or at least not allow it to be all that it's meant to be. What uh, what do some of those challenges look like? I mean, whether you can say specifically from your relationship or what do you think they maybe are even generally? You know, there, there's I, I want to say something that leads to that. Yeah, by all means. And uh, uh, one of the things that I think are is absolutely essential to having a higher level of relationships is that you have got to learn how to be an encourager. Mm. You have to. You can't say I'm not wired like that. Some people, it's intuitive, comes easy. Yeah, feels a natural encourager, and um, um, but you have to learn how important that is, and you have to move towards people that you're wanting to build a relationship, knowing they're struggling with insecurity. Yes, they need a cheerleader, they need to hear a good word in season. All of this is scripture, and you got to do it. You're not gonna have. I, these people withhold and are waiting on somebody to bring everything to them. They're rarely going to ever find it. Okay. That's one. So being and developing the spirit of encouragement, either you're gifted with it. Great. Then you're yeah. going to do it. But if you're not be just as good as the but gifted start being people. intentional with it, like Absolutely. start giving it before, like it starts coming in encouragement. Yeah. There is not enough in this world. Absolutely. Period. There needs to be encouragement given all the time. I think that's essential. Um, you're going to run into points where your patience is going to get thin or that gap is going to wear you down. Yeah. I have gaps that feels I think would have to go, gosh, I wish you'd get over that. And um, uh, and so I have to depend on this, though, while I'm working with Jesus. I may never get through it. I may run to the end of the I may go to the end of this run, never giving that to Jesus. I'm so blind to it. Some of the stuff you're so dog on when people tell you you have it, you're disagreeing. Mm hmm. And um, uh, so I'm depending on once I know an assignment going, then it, it, I don't want to I don't want to say these marriages are, are relationships are marriage or even closely related to marriage. There's certain things in all relationships that are the same. And this is one of them that may never change. But for all the good I get. I'll take that. And be over it. Yeah. Be over it. I expect Debbie to look at me and go. He may never change that. Yeah. And then go, but for all the blessings we have together, I'm going to take that and learn how to be patient with that and live that. I think that's important. So do Phil and I always have the perfect zones? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, have we ever argued? Yes. Um, um, uh, I don't think we've ever come to a point where we looked at each other and go, then this relationship is over. Right. I think we've looked at each other going, we're assigned to each other. <laughs> We got to figure this out because this is going to be terrible. This is going to be a bad assignment. <laughs> <laughs> and so we better get better at this right yeah. now. 
And uh, so I think all of us, the, the three friendships that I have that are that close, I think I've been in the front seat of a car with every one of them, at least one of those encounters, all of them been in the front seat of a car and going through something, going, I don't want us treating, I don't want you treating me like that anymore, or I don't want to do that anymore, like that. I, th yeah. th that doesn't work. And we go, done. That's important. And because any sustained relationship has compromises, probably a bad word, right? Adjustments. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to make adjustments. That is a better word, yeah. Because a compromise means you've given up something maybe that is worthy and holy and righteous. That's right, yeah, that's right. But so you make, you're, I'm making this adjustment because I'm not losing you just because I can't make an adjustment. I'm going to die to my flesh. And, and then half the time you find out you didn't die nearly as much as you thought you were going to right. because of what you got in return. But this is what I want to say, because I don't know how much time you have left. But all great assignments, Seth, all great assignments are forged. Hmm. They're forged. And you find yourself thrown into something. So all three of the relationships, one of them much different, somebody I've known for almost 40 years now, or 35 years, and then uh, Phil, a little under 30, I think, or right around 30, and the other the same. The other relationship came along a little bit later in the Morning Star, Every Nation world. And um, and those are my, the three that I know, I walk with those three uniquely. They're the kind of guys you sit in the car, after a period of time, you sit in the car and you don't talk, but all is well. Yeah. There's now your presence is as powerful as your words, mm. and 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 there's an impartation of life without saying a word. Yeah. When you see them walk in the room, it's what the psalmist said: "My soul rejoiced when yeah. you walked in the room." That starts to happen in those kind of settings, but those are all forged. And what I mean by forged is somewhere along the line, those great relationships are thrown into a fire. I mean. We may not come out. We may not get through this. Hmm. And um, and then you you grab a hold of each other because that's all you've got. Yeah, it's in war. It's a war. It's a spiritual warfare. If you haven't been on the true battlefront, we all know about the guys who've gone to war and come back and have these lifelong understandings yeah. of one another. That's right. We're talking about a relationship that goes on that God can use to produce fruit and bless other people. Right. Those are forged. The best ones are forged. Yeah. You find yourself in the fire with somebody. And when people go, well, I don't know if I've had that yet, don't worry. Yeah. Be an encourager. Do the hard work of being as close to somebody as you can. Somewhere along the way, you're going to find yourself in that fire with that brother. Yeah. And when you do, if you come out on the other end of this, so Phil and I in our worst days, we're in my office praying together when the whole world felt like was against us. And, uh, but praying for that world. We would sit and pray for the very world every day in my office when he moved to Jacksonville for a while for the world that was against us, yeah. refusing to lose it. And uh, when we tried to get all the brothers to stay together in those days when our movement was a little bit in trouble, I know a lot of your listeners don't know what I'm talking about, but it's a group of people that had gathered together to do something for Jesus and it had gone haywire. Yeah, I'm sure people can imagine that in the church world, everything isn't all roses and... And, uh, and uh, rainbows all the time, you know. Yeah, there's issues, there's drama. Staying together, relational conflict is and we inevitable, prayed, and we certainly have had our moments. And when we prayed in my office, what can we do to get the, everybody to not lose this? Yeah. And we thought, if they'll get together and see each other, and if they'll have camaraderie, if they'll have fun, and we can use a part of that to make them better at what they do, we can win. Yeah. camaraderie and fun. The other part doesn't matter to your listeners on this particular podcast. Okay. But camaraderie and fun. What is the other part, just out of curiosity? To give them, if they're going to commit time yeah. to camaraderie and fun, because we're asking busy people, Yes. make sure they walk away with a skill that takes them home and makes them better at what they do. Okay. So they didn't go to a boys club for fun and camaraderie. No, they do need to hear that, Pastor Russ. That's... And that's uh, that's, uh, but, that's worth the price of admission right but there. But you add the skill so that the time they've taken away from their busy life, they actually get something for that too. So they get skilled up in their ministry. They get camaraderie and fun. And out of that, we felt like maybe love would be born. And the first time we went around the country and did it with these groups of men, it was a little rough. 
But by the second time, there was life. Yeah. And it was born out of what this podcast is about. Look at your brothers and realize camaraderie and fun are priceless, hard to find. Yeah. Can't hardly find it anywhere where it's real and deep or it's beyond tough. a good laugh. It's getting tough, yeah. And um, and so and it worked. The brothers and so what we've just been doing for the last twenty seven hours together, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean, I'm gonna go home feeling better about life. And um and so it it's it, they're forged. They're yeah. forged in fires. That's the best ones of all. Yeah. I think you encourage and you pay the price. You just the enemy wants you alone. Yeah. That's really well said. You will not People win hear that. alone. Yeah. And so what we're talking about here, and so Phil and I are 60 and above. So if we've got a guy right now that's listening to us or a young lady who's listening to us and they're 32, start doing the stuff that you could. Don't worry about the forge. That is all God's hand. You'll be there. Yeah. And, um, but being this encourager, intentionally keep moving into a person's life. Intention, and when they're moving away from you, if you know their assignment, yeah, chase them. Yeah, don't judge them. Chase them. Go way farther than you think you should before you say, "I guess this isn't going to work." Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And chase them maybe beyond just like tweeting at them or something like that, or like tagging them on Instagram or something like that. Like get in a physical place where you know they are, like do something that requires something. I'm wondering, so to, to maybe make this kind of practical and, and stick in the end, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this thing. I know every time I'm around you guys and your peers, um, the way that you built, the way that you've led, um, I don't think there's any delusions that this thing's perfect or whatever, but I think the biggest takeaway is always, you know, not the, the vision necessarily of the, of the ministry or the structure of it or the organizational st strategic everything. But when I walk away with guys, you know, my age and kind of around my generation, it's always like, man, I hope 20 and 30 years from now, I'm still looking across the table and I'm, I'm still seeing you. And we've got something like this that the next generation can see. Um, cause I think a lot of us have seen either our fathers or our grandfathers grow old and grow isolated. It's been said that usually by the age of 40, most American males lack any strong male friends. Um, if they're married and they have kids and work and everything else and they claim they're busy and all these things, right? They just kind of weed themselves out. Um, and I know that's, that's true of just a lot of, you know, American masculine culture. It's just the older you get, the more isolated you get, but you guys have really bucked that trend. And it's so attractive and appealing. So I'm wondering if someone's listening to this maybe on the front end and saying, I don't, maybe I have some of those people in my life. Maybe I don't have them yet, but boy, I'd like to have that. What's, uh, what's maybe something, you've already mentioned a few practical things, but what's something super practical they could even start maybe doing tomorrow to start? This is going to be a lifestyle. It's not going to be an overnight thing, but what, are, what could they do tomorrow? They'd actually start building in that direction. You mentioned encouragement. It's a, it's a big one. Pick up that phone. Do not use your thumbs. There we go. Pick up your phone. If you want something, the simplest of all, the simplest. It's the most base thing we have available to us right now. Pick up the phone and make a call. And have something to talk about that's encouraging and lifting. Let them know they're valuable. Let them know why you made the call. Because you just don't want the space to get too far. Yeah. That's the simplest thing you can do. So there's one. That's not just an older generational Luddite rant on technology either. Like people need to hear your voice. They don't need to see your text. Yes. Um, if you really want those friendships, it can't. It cannot just be a text. It cannot just be a social media thing. People need to understand that relationships have to go beyond that. Hear, hear a voice at the very least. Yes. I think that's huge. I appreciate you there's saying one. that. There's one. So Phil can pick do up one. a phone. We'll, we'll that's go a good one. You know, Seth, I, I it, what. Russ is saying is, is, is so right. And I, here's what I want to add to this practice along with Russ saying, pick up that phone. I want to yeah. bring it maybe a, uh, on a 60,000 foot view of this. Um, number one, pursue God with all your heart and surrender to him all your relationships. Mm. Be willing to surrender in other words, lay them all down on the on the altar and trust God to, as you pursue him, to 
bring into your life the, uh, the relationships that he's assigned for you. I love it. And once you understand that, here's my practical word, serve them. Hmm. Serve them. Hmm. It's not what you can get out of. It's not what, and, and this is one of the distinguishing marks of Russ's life, that he, you, he serves and sows unselfishly into those, into those assignments. Um, that's what, I, I, I'm not the best at it, but that's what I try to do. Uh, I, I, yeah. Russ and I, we pray for each other if not every day, almost every day. Uh, I do a prayer walk every day. I know most ministers do. And there's a, as I walk out through this area of my neighborhood, there's a spot that I go by every day. And when I go by that spot, that's my reminder. That's the Russ Austin spot. That's the Russ Austin spot. Is it a dumpster heap? Or you like, know, is, it, like, like to see is there a roadkill right yeah, behind you know, it's there? Kind of a, a doughboy? Is a, it a restaurant no, no, with that big fat boy no, on the it? yeah. It's a street drain. That yeah, yeah. yeah that's oh, what, I, I, I knew down. it had to be something like that. <laughs> but Seth, you, you have to, for these relationships to work, you have to come out of yourself and yeah. give. Yeah. That's if I use the word, I know that's the magic. Yeah. That's the the mystery of it because because typically you're feeling rejected. Why hadn't he called or no one care? You know, you typically you're fighting your own insecurities in this mm-hmm. thing. But when you turn that around and say, "I'm calling to just uh, with authenticity," I, yeah, I don't mean sure. just uh, uh, you know out of it's some formula, but y- y- the assignments, you make time for them. You, you, you serve them. You, you care. You, you, you invest in them and watch God do yeah. beyond what you could ever ask for or imagine. I, that's one of the deep legacies of this relationship or this assignments of this relationship. I know this, Seth, as a fact. My friend Russ uh, will will tell me he pray he won't he maybe he doesn't remember this but he'll he'll slip up and he'll say to me I was asking God how I could help Phil Lord tell me how I mm. could help him and he'll slip up sometimes and just say that to me and it's just the most overwhelming yeah, thing that's humbling. It's it is it's there's no way to, to put words on that stuff. Yeah, right. That someone's saying that, God, show me what I can do yeah. to help my friend. That'll get you out of a dark place real quick. Won't the, it? I mean to tell you, brother, that'll ru- that that'll keep you up for about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what the devil says, right, Chad? That and and I feel the same. I mean, but I think in the assignments in our lives, that's how we have have of the gardening word cultivated it it's not what you can do for me it's what can i do for you mm-hmm. yeah. now and, and i think that's that's decades of being stupid and and getting yeah. and and being selfish and you know and must made a great point there's no way to compare this to the marriage relationship no. it's a ba- it's a bad analogy but there are some similarities you yeah. know that if you get real self-absorbed Oh, in sure, any yeah. relationship, then they implode. Yeah, of course. And that's always the temptation. That's universal, isn't it? Yeah. What have you done for me lately? You know, that's kind of always, you know, mm-hmm. what why haven't you, you know, why you, 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 why haven't you? But when you turn that around to the assignments, and it's like, how can I serve? How can I find a way to lift my friend with all sincerity and authentic, you know, not not formulaic, but God help me to help. What can I do? It I is think just, that's great. It's we're, it's a treasure that can't be described. Yeah. That, those moments like that. Yeah. To have a friend like that. But it, it's God at doing it all, yeah, but absolutely. it's all in his orders. Yeah. You know, uh, Seth, before you... Uh, yeah, are yeah. we pretty Please. much having to shut down? Here? No, we're... You know, we're, this is the internet, so we're free to <laughs> we're free to do what we want to do. Um, you know? uh, another one, Dallas... Uh, uh, a Dallas Willard statement has been made famous by John Ortberg. And... Um, uh, and You'll you'll hear it quite often, but there's something that every young person needs to. They have some good friends right now, and they're gonna they're gonna say this. Yeah. When these kids are gone, we're gonna we're gonna be able to finish up. We're gonna keep things together because we're gonna have a lot more time and 
ability to do our relationships better when we get older. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. That is wrong. That's a deception. You will not have more time. Once your kids are grown up. No. If you have kids. Not if you're successful. Not if you found something to do with your life in Jesus. You've created a life for yourself to fully occupy all the space made available. And um, so when you get there, energy levels are different. Requirements on your time are much different than you thought because you raised a family. So you don't have the time that you thought you were going to have. So that's one. So the statement that Ortberg has made famous is ruthlessly remove hurry from your life. And to hear him flesh that out on how Dallas Willard taught him about that, and I'm sure you've heard. Oh yeah, it. that's that's a famous, that's a profound statement. And yeah. um, and 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 it's been so well known. But he doesn't mean just stop running around. It means stop the speed of your thinking, stop the speed of you know. It, it, it's it's a way you're walking when you're moving fast. You can not be in a hurry moving fast. That's right. You can be doing you can a be lot, quick, but not in a hurry. Yes. And yeah. so yeah. when you learn how to do that, you make space. If people will go far too long in their relationships because they didn't make space to make them happen, calling busyness and demands the yeah. reason for it. The enemy is in that. Mm. Yes. You have to just put something down and go, I do not want to be that 40-year-old guy. Yeah. Because most of the people I know are going to be that because yeah. they won't ruthlessly remove hurry from their minds. Eugene Peterson has a similar quote. He says that the the busy pastor is a lazy pastor. It's the same idea, right? That if you just allow yourself to be caught up in the busyness of all that's demanded of you without ever intelligently or ruthlessly just removing the things that God has not actually assigned you to do, you've just created a busyness that's actually distracting you from the very things you are called to do. Uh, And he, yeah, he he tags that as laziness. You're not actively pursuing God and pursuing the right priorities, especially of relationships. Um, Because I hear people, everyone's busy. And and like you hear it, uh, we hear it from, I hear it from pastors who literally have 30 people in their church. And then I hear it from pastors of 3,000 in their church. Oh, I'm busy. Like, well, you know, busy is one thing. The mosquito's busy. The bee is busy. One gets praised, the other swatted. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like what's uh, like, you know, don't confuse just activity for productivity or certainly for obedience. You know, that's a really important, important point. I would, I would kind of build a little bit on the two of you guys because of all the young people we have in our church. And we always get one of these awkward moments where it's like all of a sudden uh, a lonely guy comes along and says, hey, I need a friend. Will you be my friend? You know, and I've had guys kind of share that moment, you know, with me or I, I see them do it with each other. And then they come back frustrated like, hey, I, I said I want to be a friend and I don't feel like it's working out. And it's like, yeah, that's not that's not going to work super well for you. Um, because. <laughs> I think that one of the basics, you know, and this is just, you know, this is just social, you know, awareness and EQ, you know, one-on-one kind of stuff. You have to grow in this. It doesn't matter where you're starting from, just grow. But I think you've got to pursue God. You've got to get clarity on the mission of God. You've got to be a part of it. And if you're seeking friendship for friendship's sake, it won't go anywhere. It won't be of any meaning. You have to be headed somewhere. And it's once you're headed somewhere, you'll find yourself walking in the same direction. Like you're saying, like parallel paths, right? That's how you started this whole thing out. So once you're actually walking or even running in a direction, and now you see that there's people that are running in that direction, you'll build a bond. But that bond is pointed, not just facing each other, but it's walking side by side with each other. And I think that's the dynamic you have to go for. Yes. So if you're just sitting yes. around lonely, like you got to pursue Jesus, you got to get on mission with Jesus, figure out what that means and that looks like. And, uh, and then trust Jesus. Like you're saying, the power of God can align people into your life to help you fulfill everything God's called you to do, whether it's in your specific industry for us, it's in the context of, you know, occupational ministry. Um, but that's exactly what he's done. I mean, I would never have the friends that I have had if I wasn't just simply being obedient to Jesus on his mission on the campus when I was a college student. And then literally every relationship I have now in my world today is just because of that. You know, it wasn't because I was looking for friends, Absolutely. but friends happen as a result and they're better because of it. Yes. They're better because of it. Um, and I think that's actually how Jesus made disciples. He said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men, join my mission. And then they got up and followed him along with all the other guys who were following him. So they found fellowship as they joined the mission of fishing, right? That was one was an outcome of the other. We say it at Grace City, the church that I lead, that if you 
if you seek friendship or community first, it's tough to get on mission together. But if you actually pursue mission first, you'll actually find community or friendship almost automatically. Yes. It just happens, right? Um, and so I love this. I love all this. There's so many practical things, you guys. I, I was, I'm actually a little surprised. I didn't think it would be quite this practical, but I feel like anyone listening to this could actually take some of these things and actually go do something tomorrow with them to, to hopefully have the kind of relationships in a few decades from now that you guys are describing. And Seth, a thought on, because what you just said is, is so right on in the foundation starts with God. It starts with his mission. And, and just to add to that, I believe at some point he brings partners into your life. Yes. Not just friends, that that's a, a huge element of it, but ministry partners, someone that's a partner, you know, uh, Russ and I, he is a lifelong best friend, you know, but there's what's even more profound is the partnership that what we're called by God on mission together to do and to do to be best of friends. And and that's God's design. Yeah. And so uh, God will bring those. And and so that you'll have let different all kinds of community. Yeah. But as you keep that process going, partners will emerge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that change That's good. every that that create what Russ says so often, all of us individually would only rise to so far. But together we rise exponentially. Yes. Be you know, beyond that. Right. You know, and that, you know, just I don't want to describe the rush that that is. You know, yeah. that you get the the draft pulls you up to heights that you will never reach just in just being an individual, you know, just, and so that's the, so when those partners, as you're, as you're faithful, as you're saying, in those things, pursuing God and then finding mission and selflessly serving that, the treasure of partners emerge. And, that's fantastic. And, 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 you know, it, you know, I, it, Good or bad, I'm going to have to finish with this guy. <laughs> you be the judge. Good or bad, I'm going to have to finish with yeah, this guy. You, Seth. you will not be the jury on whether <laughs> this thing works out. Yeah, we're gonna have to finish I'll make this. all those decisions. Yeah, and, we, and we're going to have to finish. So, Seth, you're going to have to, you know, take it from there. Uh, yeah, that's right. Up, so yeah. that's how it works. We'll see if I can clean up the mess y'all make and try to put something together from it. We'll see. We'll see if that's even possible by the Lord's uh, hand. You guys, I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been a really valuable investment. Um, I, I just know in moments like these that people are really getting upgraded by hearing you guys and your story. I love these aren't just bullet points of some kind of uh, seminar, but this is life that you've lived and uh, it's come across that way. So thanks for your time. Thanks for your investment. Thanks for the model and example um, and all that you're passing on to these future generations. Thanks for the opportunity. Love Thank doing it. This was, this was just a, a lot of fun. Man. It's been fun. That's yeah, great. Thanks. All right. Thanks. <laughs>